Welcome to the Wimlake Show. Today our guest is uh, Robert from uh, Murdoch's Ranch and Home Supply. It's an interesting guest for us because uh, he's one of our uh, first uh, U.S. customers uh, with Murdoch's. So we are expanding in the U.S. heavily thanks to our financing round uh, we just disclosed in December 2020. And today we're going to speak about uh, the business of Murdoch's Ranch and Home Supply, about the challenges of uh, uh, former brick and mortar retailers, about the chances uh, due to COVID uh, and how um, Robert sees those chances. And uh, maybe he has some very interesting war stories from his time at uh, Microsoft. So welcome, Robert. Uh, please tell the audience who are you and uh, what actually is Murdoch's Ranch and Home Well, thanks, Alex, for the intro. It's uh, great to be here. Great to be a guest on your podcast. Um, starting with me, uh, I've been in technology for 25 years or so, um, doing a variety of roles uh, across industries, um, typically uh, more IT uh, or enterprise roles, enabling technologies um, to allow business teams to do things they couldn't do without the technology. And uh, at Murdoch's, I'm the CIO, so I'm in charge of all technology initiatives, both on our retail floor, all the way out to our digital channel, uh, which Spryker is going to help us reach a lot of new customers. Can you uh, uh, can you give us some uh, background about uh, uh, Murdoch? So what is Murdoch selling? Where is it selling? How is it selling? Do they produce stuff their own? Or, is, or are they just like a retailer um, selling stuff from other uh, brands? We're in a really interesting niche here. So uh, uh, we're headquartered. I'm in looking out my window here at the, the Bridger Mountains, uh, part of the Rockies in Montana, Bozeman, Montana. Um, we have 34 stores uh, located in Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, uh, one in Salmon, Idaho, and one in Scotts Bluff, Nebraska. So really the Rocky Mountain, uh, kind of northern Rockies. Um, and our market Uh, started off really as a ranch supply. You know, you can think of, um, you probably watched Kevin Coster and Yellowstone and big ranches and they need things like fencing and they need tools and clothing and ranch wear. Um, so we serve that market. I think that's our kind of our core market. But as more and more people have moved into the Mountain West, um, they need a lot of other things too. And so we essentially provide um, everything for that Western lifestyle. Then when you come to, you know, Montana or Colorado, you can get Carhartt, which is a great brand of ours. Um, we sell a lot of Carhartt, DeWalt. Um, we're a premier DeWalt dealer. Um, we sell, uh, high end, uh, steel chainsaws, Husqvarna, um, power tools, uh, Fencing, we sell veterinary supplies like vaccines um, for animals. Um, we sell uh, tack, you know, for horses. Um, so very kind of unique niche um, for us. A lot of the product that we sell cannot be shipped really mm -hmm. in an economic way. So we sell like prefert fencing, which is the steel fencing mm -hmm. panels. Um, and those, uh, you know, are are very heavy and large and don't really fit in a box. Um, yeah. I have, I, I have some of those. It's called, <laughs> uh, tech, it's called Texas fence here. If you go there to a farm go. supply here uh, in Germany, it's called a Texas fence. 
Absolutely. So I think, you know, um, our business has been uh, booming. Um, one of the things that's happened that's kind of interesting is with COVID, it's uh, kind of accelerated these population shifts. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of people that um, are moving here um, from other parts of the country, kind of seeking, I think, wide open space, nature, and that. And, you know, we're right on the doorstep of Yellowstone National Park, just 60 miles away here and um, very close to Glacier National Park. Um, There's still bison roaming around and grizzly bears and all that. And so I think people seek a connection to, Mm. you know, especially with, with COVID and being kind of constrained. Now they're seeking wide open spaces. But, but just like for my understanding, so um, uh, Murdoch, then it's like just, A middleman retailer so they're not producing this texas fences or they're not producing uh, the carhartt for example right they, they are just store storing it in the store and then selling it to the end uh, uh end consumer and, and you're representing actually like the um the uh the new channels uh in murdoch's too so um selling or via a website or via, via an app so um, Can you tell me, so when did it start it, like to think about those new channels? Because with this history, with this very brick and mortar heavy uh, business model, uh, um, um, I think that's rather like a newer development or was it around already uh, like um, 15 years ago? <laughs> well, you know, like anything, um, uh, Murdoch's uh, tried to build a uh, web channel. Um, Back in 2013, I believe, is when they launched their first uh, first foray into this. Um, and, you know, the it was like anything else, you know, it was like hang a shingle out and maybe people will come, right? It was like more of that's where the everything's headed. Everyone's going onto the web. So we have to do that, too. Um, and it kind of really struggled. You know, they, they built out... Uh, a fulfillment capability, a centralized fulfillment capability. They invested a lot um, in the in their site. Um, they put a lot of you know processes in place that didn't exist, but then the customers never really came. Um, and uh, you know, I think that it, for for several reasons. But what um, when I got here, <laughs> they were really struggling with the, what's the purpose really of. If, if, like you said, we have all these brick and mortar locations and, and that's so cap, that's where all your capital is, right? If you build these stores and you staff them, um, that's where a lot of your investment is going. How does it, what's the website? What, you know, what's the purpose of the, of the website to support your business? You know, and I always, and I, I came in and said, Hey, really the website has got to be about three things. One um, it is a marketing vehicle that should tell your story, right? Like you said, if we're a middleman, there's a lot of middlemen. So why would they come? Why would they, why would people come to us, uh, as a middleman? So there's a marketing element of what your website does. Secondly, there's a store, of course, like you want people to come and be able to find things and buy things. But then there's the third thing. Um, and it's largely why, you know, we wanted to go headless, uh, from a commerce perspective. And it, it is, uh, enabler for you to be able to do certain capabilities that you couldn't do without the technology. So, and a great example of that is, you know, when COVID came and I don't think anyone was really expecting that on the horizon, 
we needed to quickly be able to offer our customers a way to come shop with us and pick up. So that was this buy online, pick up in the store aspect, be able to pre-stage the product, come pick it up. Well, without the web technology, there's no way you could enable that, right? So we were lucky in the farm and ranch side of it. There were a lot of of our competitors um, that really didn't invest in that area because they said, well, most of our customers really come in and, and value that relationship, that face-to-face relationship. We don't really see the benefit or the value in investing in the in the technology. But I think, you know, as retail evolves and continues to evolve, um, you know, my job as a technology, uh, as a technologist here is to position the company to be able to evolve as customers taste and preferences and how they want to shop change. So it's really like those three things. One, yes, the website has to be a marketing vehicle, tell your story. Two, you have people have to be able to shop. That's just table stakes. And the third is it's a platform to enable you to innovate, do things and serve customers in in uh, new ways. Mm-hmm. Do you see uh, um, similarities to your experience with Microsoft? So you've worked almost 20 years, I think, uh, at Microsoft, and you have been general manager uh, of retail and e-commerce channels. And I think for those channels, like started also for Microsoft, like in the 2010s, more or less. So uh, was it kind of the same um, barriers you had to uh, jump over in, in order to get like the Microsoft team on board with the idea of reaching out to customers on new channels. So um, uh, is, is, is there something from the Microsoft experience which you can uh, transfer to the Modux experience and some learnings here you can share? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Microsoft, when I started at Microsoft back in 98, 1998, long time ago, um, the company was really divided into a bunch of separate, uh, almost like companies within the company. And I started in a piece of Microsoft called the home and entertainment division. And it was really about the only part of the company that was serving in consumers, what we call them customers, like retail customers. Um, because you think the rest of the Microsoft was really about enterprises, right? The licensing and how do I, you know, my, you know, offer office to the company of BMW. And, you know, that was where most of the resources were in mm. Microsoft was around enterprise, <clears throat> And there was this tiny little group that started actually out of when uh, we launched, Microsoft launched um, Windows, early versions of Windows. They needed a pointing device called a mouse. And uh, so they needed to build a mouse because there wasn't any, that this was prior to, you know, that everything was very keyboard centric. So uh, there was no mouse. And so Microsoft stepped up to do that and then started building their consumer portfolio around that. So with keyboards, mice, and then they added uh, video games and other things. And then they really used uh, distributors, middlemen to, uh, to sell to the end customer. They weren't involved in retail at all. So the evolution then was we launched Xbox and Xbox was very much a consumer Uh, centric product, but it required a retail relationship too, because retailers didn't want to go through a middleman. They wanted to work directly with the the brand owner, the company that was building this, primarily because there's not a lot of margin in that. 
And Xbox was really a razor and razor blades business, meaning you sell the console, but you really want to attach the games to it. And that's how the retailer makes money um, by doing that. And so, you know, I remember in Europe, you know, Media Mart and a bunch of other companies. I don't know if Media Mart's even around anymore, but try to figure. It, it is, but but the question the the question is smart. So it's still still it's, it's heavily discussed. So what's going to be the future for Media Market? But it, it's still the biggest uh, consumer electronics retailer in Europe. Good. Uh, so I remember working with you know trying to figure out how to get product on the shelf, and we were, Microsoft was trying to learn about what was important to retailers, um, and this whole idea of earn and turn and which was margin and how many times the inventory turned over um as a as their asset was an important thing to learn um and uh we of course had to build new capabilities to do that you know build like edi with the retailer and build uh vendor managed inventory solutions and all this to manage the shelf um and uh of course what kept happening was you know devices think more and more things started going digital and also you have the rise of apple uh you know with their ipads and their macs and microsoft said you know we can't continue to rely on middlemen anymore we have to be able to build a direct channel to the end customer so that was when we in 2010 and 11 started to build a direct retail channel and that was very controversial because that was seen as channel conflict, right? So if you are the owner of the brand and you're selling directly to the customer, those are the same customers that are buying from folks like Media Mart or Best Buy or Saturn or, you know, these companies, um, Aushan, you know, like all those retailers there. Mm-hmm. So you so you really had to then, uh, you know, come up with a strategy of what are you going to do to differentiate? Like if we're just selling the product, um, from Microsoft to the end customer, you know, you can't compete on price on that because as soon as you compete on price, then you cut off all that retail channel and you really need that retail channel to reach customers. And I think ultimately, you know, that's what retail boils down to is relationships and customers go to a middleman because they trust them. Um, and with Microsoft, what we did in that retail channel is we said, what, you know, one of the complaints that customers had with Windows, and I would hear it in the airport, people go, they'd hold up like a, you know, a 2002 Windows XP, you know, IBM, you know, ThinkPad and say, and then they would compare it to their, you know, brand new Mac book pro and they said why is this such a piece of crap look at my macbook just works right <laughs> and there it's apples and oranges they were comparing like one is this 10 year old operating system full of crap uh the the hardware isn't optimized and they're they're comparing it to a, to a macbook so microsoft said that's what we have to own we have to own that experience all the way from the customer back and so we all started offering um working with the oems like dell and hp uh, and Lenovo, and we said, we want, this is the specs that we want in the machine. Because before, uh, in and around that time frame, before we were building, building that channel, it was really a race to the bottom. Everyone was at, at the $500, you know, 500 euro kind of price point on the computer. And you just can't have a good piece of hardware at that price. And people said, no one will pay for a premium Windows 
product. And so that was where we came in. We said, okay, well, the retailer didn't want to stock those. They wanted the $500 one. And they wanted the machine that had all the, what we called bloatware. If you remember, yes, the, yes, the, remember. OEM, the OEMs yeah. would go work with yeah. AOL. Yeah. And it, stuff it, like it took usually like 10 years ago, buying a Windows PC, it took like always half a day to uh, install like a, 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 a naked Windows. Yes, Exactly. So then from our own channel, we said, well, that's something we can offer then. We'll offer a highly optimized, we called it signature image on our machines. If you buy it from us, you'll get this optimized signature Windows image. You'll get uh, hardware that we stand behind. We selected, we curated it. We said, these are the machines we recommend to run Windows. Mm. Um, and we offered a way for customers to come to us to get those. And then we built a kind of a premium support channel, kind of like Apple Care called Microsoft Complete yeah. that supported that. But that was in response a little bit to where customers were going, which is, hey, why do I have to go to you know, this middleman? Because the product really was the experience, was the hardware plus the software experience. And so um, secondarily, what was happening too is they, there were no disk drives on the computers anymore, right? As you got those slim laptops, everything was digital. So once everything's digital, you need a channel to reach those customers directly, right? How is a retailer going to sell a digital product on your behalf? Um, and the other interesting thing is that is because the DNA of Microsoft was always to, to and it still is today, to leverage partner ecosystems to sell their products, uh, they still wanted retailers to be able to sell digital product. And that was another area that my team came in to say, how do we provide digital like Office, how do we allow MediaMart to sell a digital version of Office from their website, um, but yet fulfill that that's from true. Microsoft? And that, that's, that, and that I think was not a very user-centric thinking. It was kind of a channel-first thinking. How can we protect our wholesale, uh, wholesale channel? But is there kind of a is there a learning in there which you can uh, translate today in the murder case? Because you're now on the other side, right? So Carhartt mm -hmm. could ask themselves, okay, why should I? ship merchandise to uh, to Murdoch. So they are just shipping it to the customer uh, in a box when the customer is buying uh, uh, via the via the website. So is, is this kind of experience from Microsoft helping there, shaping yeah. a, a good relationship with Carhartt? Yeah, so, um, I, you know, the main, the main kind of aha or learning is, is um, it's that, that relationship, it's the trust that you build over time. So if you have a customer that comes in and it's just a, they're seen as a transaction, right. Then from an econ, you know, you'd, you'd build a different experience. Um, but if it's about building trust over time and as a customer continues to come in because you steer them the right direction. So Carhartt has lots of products and we don't stock them all. We pick ones that work for the climate here, mm. you know, and, and have worked with the, you know, mo a lot of the people that work in our stores, Are, have been, you know, ranchers and cowboys and uh, loggers and everything. And so they can, they have personal experience and can stand behind the product. And we tend to bring in brands that, you know, are aligned with those experiences that we have. And so um, we also, the other, the other key uh, learning, so there's the trust piece, you're building a, a relationship over time. 
um, and you treat that customer as a, you know, they have a lifetime value. Hmm. That's one okay. thing. Secondly, I think is um, uh, you listen to the customer, the consumer, and you say, what do they want and how are they, they're, they're changing. You mentioned something about, yeah, we had a channel first approach uh, at Microsoft um, and we did, but we actually called it inclusion, channel inclusion. Not that we would do any everything just through the channel. We 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 would say, hey, we want to allow customers to get our product wherever you know they have their wallet, basically. So if they're in Media Mart and they want to buy Office because they're buying a machine, we want the ability to we you know we called it. Uh, do you want fries with your burger? So Office with the with your PC, because at that point of purchase was the perfect time to, to bring those two together, right. To attach those in a, in our, in our retail store and in our online, this is, this is something it's called related selling, right. Where we want to ultimately get to the point of, if you're buying a chainsaw, it's the perfect opportunity to upsell you different types of um, different types of saw blades and uh, different types of components that'll go with the chainsaw at that point of purchase or potentially a uh, uh, other add-ons, right? Maybe some protective gloves or eyewear like that. Ultimately you're building, you know, uh, one of the retailers I like here in the U S is backcountry.com and they sell outdoor products, um, skiing, climbing, uh, paddling, human powered kind of sports. Um, and they have these gearheads, which are experts that will curate. Uh, they'll talk to you via chat, um, and you develop a relationship, and you kind of pick what you're interested in. I'm I'm into mountain biking, uh, backcountry skiing, maybe rock climbing, and um, there are experts that also are good uh, that do those sports, and they connect with you, and then they kind of curate products around what you need. And so I bought a backcountry uh, snowboard, a split board, which actually breaks apart and you can ski up it, uh, the hill, and then you put it back together and come down. Um, and there's lots That's of other things. Never heard about that. Yeah. So, so basically, you know, uh, out here, a lot of people go outside of the ski resort. And so when you go outside of the ski resort, you need a way to get up the hill. Right. Yeah. And so in skiing, they call that AT, but I'm a snowboarder. So they ha make snowboards that do the same thing that split apart and oh, turn into skis yeah. as you go uphill with skins on them. So you actually put these skins on them and they go uphill one way, but they won't come back down. But there's a lot of gear that you need for that. And if you're a novice and you're coming in, um, you know, you'll say, Hey, I just set me up. What do you, what do you use? You know, like, cause you trust them because you, you see who, what their profile and everything they've done. So I think with Murdoch's and um, at Microsoft, what we learned too is they, there's a trust in that expertise. And at that point of purchase, um, people will, you know, customers will put faith in you. They'll, the people give you the benefit of the doubt that first time. So if you steer them right the first time and you take care of them and you provide a great experience, they tell other people, of course, but then they come back. And as long as you continue to provide that that level of support and service, um, you kind of win the customer. And they'll give you the, you know, it's not that price isn't important. Of course, it's a factor. 
but ultimately there are other factors in there as well. And um, one of the things that I learned from the Microsoft experience is you got to take care of the customer, both in that time of need, but also when things don't go right, that's important. And then you're looking at them as a, as a lifetime customer, not as a single point in time. Hmm. Okay. Got it. And has, has, uh, COVID changed something? So, so I guess the whole e-commerce approach, headless approach kind of accelerated, uh, uh, was, uh, was, was in Murdoch's, but, um, now even very new customers that never maybe entered a store need to be like acquired online. So you need to maybe add new skills to your team, could be online marketing, could be LinkedIn marketing, whatever. So what has changed due to COVID uh, for your business? Um, well, I mean, I, I, uh, I think the main thing is, is that uh, more and more people are coming into the website first as their first point of contact. To see a couple things. I think one is, do we have the product that they want? People don't really want to go hang out in a store if they don't have to. Um, and then more and more, like uh, when we, at the start of COVID, we were um, piloting in just three stores, this curbside pickup. And uh, once COVID hit, we rapidly rolled it out. I think we took uh, like four weeks to roll it out to all the stores. Um, and a lot of customers, I think we were about 50, 50 in terms of 50% were shopping, doing the ship to their house and 50 were coming in for pickup. And a lot of the, a lot of the products we sell, like, uh, we were selling you a hundred pound bags of feed, things like that, um, weren't shippable, you know, uh, medicine that needs to be in a cooler was not shippable. So there are a lot of people kind of doing their shopping that way. And what we found is um, net the pie grew for us, like the more options we gave people. So it wasn't like we were forcing people one way or the other. Like if you want to come into the store, yeah, we still have that experience and we make our store safe and we, um, you know, have, you know, hours for vulnerable people that can come in and um, we have, you know, our COVID-19 guidelines on there and we try to make people feel comfortable about that. Uh, but we also want to offer the ability for you to ship uh, to your house. So, you know, we can, uh, we started doing pet food, like um, bigger bags, like 50 pound bags of like dog food. That's another key category for us is, is uh, pets. Um, and, uh, you know, in the U.S. anyway, we compete head to head with Chewy, which is kind of a juggernaut in that space. Um, and uh, the other area is, is that, um, people were combining uh, a lot of things in a basket and they wanted to save time. They really didn't, they wanted to shorten the contact uh, period. And so they would, they would put those in. And so I think, I think what we saw was we accelerated this, um, what we're kind of trying to term here. Like I was trying to even, you know, that omni-channel term is so overused in a way like it's oh there's all these different channels that customers but it's true and it's and, it, and it's it's not a customer oriented view it's usually like still like a company uh, focused view so how, how can we sell at all channels but it's not like focusing on the customer that's why this kind of term is kind of old i would say exactly and so what i what we came up with and this was kind of from my microsoft days a little bit there was i remember um when we were building the uh, xbox marketplace um, 
there was at the time, and I said Microsoft was really comprised of all these silos, all these independent little groups. Um, and they all had different, like the office was a separate office, was a separate team, right? And if you remember back in uh, early Microsoft days, there were multiple identity frameworks. There was this thing called Passport, and then there was a Microsoft account, and then there was an Xbox, uh, you had an Xbox gamer tag login. So they were all separate identity platforms. And what we said is, we're really showing the seams of our organization to our customer, right? Because each of those independent little companies within the company had their own technology. And then what we did was we exposed that to our customer and we said, what we really need to build is a seamless commerce. So if the customer comes in, they don't know, it doesn't really matter to them, you know, where they're at or where they're coming from. And so that was the term I'm kind of using here at Murdoch's is we need to build a seamless experience for our customer. So if they start their transaction online and they can finish it in the store. Um, we could do that. Or if they want to, you know, come in and, um, buy something at the curb, we can do that. If they buy it online and want to return it to one of our 34 stores, we can do that in a, in a seamless way to them. Um, and then we need to connect, um, you know, I think the differentiator for Murdoch's is we do have those 34 stores in our regions and they are knowledge centers for us. They're trust centers. Like people come into the store to talk about, like a lot of people moving here are you know, starting little farms and they don't have never done that before. So they want to talk to someone that has. And so that's a, that's a differentiator for us. Like they can't call Amazon and say, Hey, I'm moving to Montana. And I really, we need to know like, what kind of Carhartt do I need? You know, how cold does it get? When can I, you know, start planting things? You know, that kind of knowledge is important in the overall kind of purchase decision. So how do I take the, the, the web um, or whatever experience it could be in the future, your speaker phone, your, you know, your car could be connected to the internet. That's the headless concept. You know, you could be talking to some small screen or a big screen, but how do I tear down the barrier between this internet type experience and what you do in the store? And how do I bring that store back in to the online experience? Mm-hmm. Um, and so an example of, of how we, use that principle um, to put it into motion was we had originally when I started um, and took over kind of this e-commerce effort, there was a small team of customer service people and their job was to support just the ordering process and questions and refunds of the online experience. And these people um, had no really product knowledge or anything. They were just, you know, just help desk people basically for the website. And if you have a question, you can call them. And I said, you know, and we had um, some turnover and we really need to, uh, as the volume increased. So we had between kind of that March, middle of March timeframe and let's say first of May, our volumes online grew 500%. And so that team that we had of like a couple of dedicated people were no longer capable of the volume. And so the easy thing would have been, let's just replicate that model and just add more people into that kind of central siloed team, that company within a company, uh, you know, it's an organization within the broader organization. But what we said is if we really want to do a seamless approach, what we have to do is let's 
let's actually hire people within the stores. So we already have associates, right? That know those products and have that knowledge in our store. Let's actually have them be part of that team. And so what we did was we enabled the capability to, we, you know, we put um, laptops out in those stores. And so for a certain percentage of the time, those sales associates actually provide frontline customer service for web customers. And so uh, we, you know, and when I got here, it was really this concept of store 99, which was a whole separate e-commerce store that was kind of doing business and process completely separate from what was happening in the brick and mortar store. And I said, let's break those down. Like to break the seams for our customer, we then have to change the culture, right? So that people view a Murdochs.com customer as a Murdochs customer, not as a separate entity, but someone that could also be face-to-face with you and your store. And getting those these uh, these people in our region, uh, regional stores to take customer service calls from online customers was one of the places in which we started breaking down those seams. And and, and this project, uh, which I think you have most likely shared some some uh, some vision with your uh, with with brands you're working with, like Card and the others. So does it um, attract new um, new merchants, new vendors, new brands? Uh, does it like create some? Uh, uh, um, um, some some momentum. So I will give you one example because a lot of merchants, a lot of vendors learned during COVID that um, on Amazon they can be like exchanged within like a single click. So when Amazon is deciding, okay, car trousers are not important for us anymore because we need to deliver, I don't know, toilet paper, which was the thing here in Germany, for example. So we just delist or derank car browsers. Uh, so the whole mm -hmm. the whole sales strategy of some of those brands was like, okay, let's Amazon first and then let's see what uh, what's happened next. And This might have changed. I, I, I sense at least it might have changed. But uh, you are uh, you are directly talking with those with those brands. So ha has this changed something? So are, are are you now becoming like more important for them, even for online retail? Because before COVID, before like your e-commerce activities, uh, Murdoch's was just a wholesale company for them. It was not even like in the bucket online retailers, right? It was just it, online retailers was. Uh, As you said, maybe Chewy, maybe it was Amazon, maybe it was uh, something different. So, is it changing now? Do they do they seek now more strategic alliances? Well, it depends on the vendor and what their Carhartt is is one um, that does look for partners that align with kind of their vision, and we share. We work with them very closely. Um, another one's Yeti which uh, I don't know if they have that in Europe, but they make high-end um, coolers and, um, you know, they're a couple hundred dollars. They're, they're, they're not the cheap um, coolers. And so um, the vendors uh, are trying to align with um, retailers that can share their story, I think, you know, because it's a crowded space and the, each vendor has a story that they want to tell too, um, in terms of what differentiates them in a, in a, in a red sea of, you know, there's a lot of cooler companies, you know, that make, um, insulated coolers. And there's a lot of companies that make, um, clothing, you know, like Carhartt work clothing. Um, so in some ways we were selective 
in the vendors that we work with and, and they can be selective with us. Um, but again, it's about this relationship over the long haul. So I'd say COVID hasn't necessarily changed any of those relationship dynamics. Um, the, ven- the, uh, the vendors like Carhartt really, you know, they don't have their own showrooms really. So they really value the, the, our ability to, per- to show the entire breadth of what they offer. And then um, obviously where it com- where the e-commerce stuff comes in is a lot of the vendors have um, unique pricing policies mm-hmm. because they don't really want to be commoditized from a price perspective. And so they have map pricing, which is advertised minimum advertised pricing that we have to be able to uphold. But then there's lots of promotions that we run and, but we can't show the, the lower price in terms of, you know, how the uh, bots and so forth come and scrape all that price. uh, And then Amazon just snatches the price uh, that, that we have. Um, And then the other element of it is kind of after sales service, you know, once you sell the product and this, this is true with um, brands like Husqvarna, they want us to be able to service those products directly. Mm. And so we do have a repair facility. So oh, okay. we, we don't, it, we try to sell things that we can then service and the customer trusts us over time that we can service and the products that we sell. And so the vendors, so we have this. All, you're not only selling then chainsaws on, but also like from Husqvarna, this, um, uh, this uh, gardening, gardening tractors yeah. or like the bigger stuff too. Oh, okay. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. We tend to like, like uh, here in my town too. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, Part of our mission, actually, we, that it's a, we talk about it is, um, you know, we want to earn the admiration, respect, and smiles of our customers, team, and supplier partners as the leader in our industry. That's our mission statement. And the supplier piece is we want to create an ongoing relationship. So we don't view the supplier as a this antagonistic relationship of we want to try to drive you down on price, you know, like a Walmart, like in the mm-hmm. United States. Um you know, is, is notorious for pushing their supplier to come up with lower prices. Um, and that's kind of their strategy. What we want to do is we want to partner with the supplier um, and collectively work together to be able to provide the experiences to customers um, that they envision and then we envision. And sometimes the, the relationships don't work. You know, the our um, philosophies aren't the same. But then uh, other ones, we we end up building that trust, uh, you know, for a lot of years. Carhartt is one of those brands that we has been around with us for a long time. Wrangler, which is another one, uh, is a good brand of ours, um, clothing wise. Uh, and those power equipment brands, um, we've had twenty mm. year relationships with. Cool. So maybe because we have only a couple of minutes left, um, maybe some questions about the project uh, um, itself, because um, you've chosen now like a headless first um, technology, like a very modern approach. And uh, um, in order to build, like to say it was the old word, like an omni-channel seamless experience, um, usually this comes like with the task of building a tech team. And uh, um, from what I understood where you're located in, in, in Montana, that's it's not... 
it's not uh, uh, Silicon Valley uh, by, by far. So how do you find tech people? Or now with Corona, you can hire them remote. So how does it work for your company? Well, it kind of starts with, uh, you know, uh, I, I think you asked me this earlier, is in a retailer, a retailer, they're, uh, they're not a technology company. So first of all, you've got to acknowledge reality. So I always say, see the world as it is, not as you want it to be. So the world as it is, is as a retailer, our core business is not a technology, uh, is not a, we're not a software company. So um, you have to get really focused, first of all, on on where the technology is going to help your overall mission of the company. So um, coming in, we had outsourced pretty much everything um, uh, for the online um, Murdochs.com. And through that outsourcing, um, we lost a lot of control and a lot of agility and being able to move quickly and do things that we wanted to do. And it over time became more expensive, actually. And so, first of all, it's like building this um, you have to build a compelling vision of why you need a technology team and what they're going to do. Um, and so, for me, working with the owners, it's Hey, we'll we'll spend that money anyway, one way or the other. And wouldn't we rather have someone that's a Murdoch's employee, a Murdochian, as we call it, that really has the pride and is a Montana is in the market and wants to build that brand? You know, we're all as humans, we want to build stuff. You know, as engineers and as you know, humans forever have wanted to build things. So we need to tap into people that want to build the brand, want to build the experience. For our customers and when we do that we'll be faster we'll build a better product and it'll probably be have a lower total cost of ownership right over time so then you know you really have to then start uh to attract people you've got to put that vision what's the purpose like you always start with you know why why is it that um we want to do this and how is what role are you going to play on this i think you can tap into this underdog, you know, we, as the small company in Montana are fighting these Goliaths like Amazon, like Chewy and those corporate entities don't really contribute back to these local towns and these local economies. Right. And I think that there's a feeling of connection that people that, you know, software folks and people want to be part of a community. That's why I moved from Microsoft to this small town here in Bozeman as I wanted to be part of something. And I wanted to come to Murdoch's because I wanted to help them. I wanted the, I wanted to build something that I could look back on and say, you know, at Microsoft, there's 120,000 employees. And I was in that company. I was actually employee 13,611. And we went all the way up to 100,000. But I was just still a small piece of it. I think here what you can say is you're going to be a big piece of building something that's going to touch our customers, your neighbors, your friends. You know, when you go to the you know the football game, you'll be able to say, "Yes, I work at Murdoch's and I built this experience that you you know that you um, use every day." So I think it starts with what's the purpose? You know, you know why is it that we want to do this? And then you tap into that human. You know the the human um, innate uh, desire to want to be part of something and to want to build something that they can look back on and be proud of. 
Um, and I think where headless and comes in is that nimbleness and agility for us to, um, to innovate and to build customer experiences um, faster than, you know, building everything. This is what, this is where we, Spriker came in for us is we want to pick partners just like suppliers. When you talked about the suppliers like Carhartt and Husqvarna and all that, you Spriker is a supplier as well. And we want them to go and be experts and build world-class technology that we can rely on. And they're going to pull us into the future, right? That's the goal is I want technology partners that pull us into the future as a small retailer in Montana, I don't want to push my vendor. I want them to pull us. And then I want to build a small, nimble tech team that can quickly build and, and leverage those pieces and put them together in unique ways that serve our customers. Mm -hmm. so, so you've said you have to acknowledge the reality. So like you're still... Um a local retailer more or less so from from and and uh, we discussed it before this podcast so uh, my, my selling the the way you sell and technology is usually the most important driver to decide on how you sell that's going to be a, a, a major usp in the future so the whole view on the it as a cost center will have to change into a view where IT becomes um, a technical part of the uh, of driving the business value. So how you sell, how you to connect with the customers, your CRM needs to work better than the CRM of a competitor or needs to be like more personalized than the one Amazon is providing. So what is your experience in convincing the senior management or the owners in your case? Uh, do they understand it or do they just trust you and say, okay, do whatever you want, just just, just uh, make it work? Well, I, I always start with this um, really simple model. Um, and it starts with uh, when you come in um, into a technology landscape for a retailer, you run a lot of things. You know, you make sure the cash registers run and you make sure the networks are up and you make sure that the ERP system runs and all that. And that's the cost center piece right? Because what you want is that's a utility. And um, when you come in and flip a light switch on in your office when it's dark, yes. you don't praise the electrical company by saying, gosh, I really am so happy with the electrical company because the light <laughs> came on, yeah. right? What you do complain about yeah. is if the bill is really high, you go, why is the bill so high for this electricity? Um, and you're mad about it. So I think as a, as a tech I think it's, you, you have to do both those things. You have to say, yes, we are a cost center and our job is to continually manage, aggressively manage our costs and show on a per unit basis, one, that we're driving uptime, we're reducing calls and incidents and we're doing it at the right cost. So, so you have to do that. A modern, a CIO today has to do that. But then there's an innovation piece, which is, Let's go plan and build capabilities and technologies that drive back into our business to support, uh, you know, business initiatives that have an ROI. So technology is both about the, being the cost center and being a responsible manager of of the, those costs over time, but also building new things. Hmm. So I think it's this ambidextrous thing that you have to do. And I also think that um, IT these days also has to take the lead in planning 
as well uh, for future capabilities because uh, no modern retail um, capability can be done without technology. So if you think about, for example, self uh, checkout, so customers don't have to, you know, they can go right out of the store with a self checkout situation that's technology enabled but it also has a it, there's a business process behind all that too in loss prevention and probably how we're going to organize where that self-checkout thing is and staffing and so forth um the other thing uh, for us an example is um we're tightly constrained on space in some of our markets uh, we have a store right nestled up into the Bitterroot Mountains um, of, in Hamilton, Montana. Um, and it's a very small store and they have a lot of feed bags in the store. And so what we want to do is we want to um, move those feed bags outside into a barn, but create a digital screen that allows customers to pick the feed that they want so they can still kind of shop and see. But then when they do that, they're able to go and pick that up. So we can actually, we're working with the, constraints the physical constraints and then also wanting to offer a new shopping experience that has you know the benefit of still driving the sale but not taking up all that space Mm -hmm. um as an example so that's planning for a new capability but at the same time what we're going to do and and this is where uh we you know working with spriker is we need to do that as a cost effective way too And but 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 can you but can you think about like a future where like um, the whole IT project becomes much much more than like just like a seamless experience? So can you like become a local marketplace, for example? Because I I I I guess there's not too many Murdoch like businesses that can invest in IT projects with with software like Spriker. So you might provide like an infrastructure in the future for um, for companies or services that cannot uh, um, afford such technology. Uh, and therefore become like a local marketplace for uh, for ranchers or farmers. Is is it? Could this be part of a vision, or is it like far, far away yet? I don't know. I haven't thought about that. Um, to me, that's like what these shopping platforms as a service are trying to do too. Um, so I think it'll be interesting to see how things evolve. Um, you know, Amazon uh, is putting their fingers in a lot of different pies. Um, in the United States, uh, we had these big kind of suburban shopping malls that are now empty as customers have changed how they shop. They don't really go to those shopping malls. Amazon is buying up space in those uh, shopping malls. Um, And the first thing they're putting in them is Whole Foods. So they bought the grocery company Whole Foods, but they're also buying a lot of the other spaces in the mall. And there's speculation that they're going to use those as uh, last mile um, kind of distribution zones and potentially local marketplace hubs. Um, but I think, you know, like when you talk about, and I've been in these big companies, the, the challenge that an Amazon has um, or a Microsoft or any like big company, Shopify, is as they get big, they they get distracted. There's a lot of things that happen. Um, and I think there's always room. I think there'll always be room for companies like Murdoch's um, uh, and other smaller focused companies uh, to I, serve their customer i 100 agree so the niche is is huge so I, i i guess like farm supply i think farm supply in the german market is like 30 billion so that must be then in the u.s like 
uh, uh, five to ten times this size. So we are talking about like 200 billion or something mm-hmm. in this area. And, and because so many customers are now used to order online, the former long tail online becomes now really fat. So this part in farm supply online is such a big niche. Uh, uh, it could be a reason to build marketplace capabilities or other stuff. And you, you're one of the first companies in this area doing this. So that's why I'm so eager to learn about uh, and, and, of course, like um, supporting your vision uh, with, uh, uh, with, uh, with Spryker. But uh, anyway, it's a super interesting, it's a super interesting um, case. Uh, uh, maybe as a, uh, maybe um, uh, just to, Uh, just to, to give some te- details to to the listeners, uh, some of them are also part of our uh, uh, um, um, part of our partners agency. So it was like a fully remote sales process. So it was uh, during uh, during during Corona. Uh, um, we, we we onboard you fully remote. We help you uh, 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 wherever wherever help is needed. Uh, and, and I think that might be also the future uh, here. So that that's why. That's why I'm thinking, and uh, so we didn't talk before the podcast. So, if this is possible now in 2020, uh, and if you can scale it in 2021, why can't you become like the major leading marketplace for this niche and area? Because there's so many, uh, so many special things in this uh, farm equipment area that cannot be. Uh, replicated by Amazon or by Chewy or others. Uh, uh, so the the potential is is enormous. Actually, absolutely, yeah. and that's our goal. Uh, we start with our market, you know, that we serve, uh, and we—that's where the the power of bringing that brick and mortar asset that we've built. Yeah. How do we leverage that brick and mortar asset to better serve our customer, even if they come in from an online perspective? Because yeah. so many of our products just are not going to be that feasible to ship out, um, and that actually is where Amazon, where we have a little bit of advantage because we have 1,600 employees in those 34 locations that all know the product line. They all know those customers yep. face-to-face uh, and the customers trust them to serve them. So now it's how do we amplify that? You know, How do we take advantage of that asset that we have and build on the power of and? Do we have a brick and mortar channel? Yes, and we have this online capability um, that we will can enable. So, how do we take those two together, right, and um, build on it? So, we fulfill all of our product from those stores. So, we don't have a centralized distribution center today. So, all of our inventory and everything is offered through those 34 stores. Now we're going to look at offering some central distribution because we can see um, we can see some good use cases for doing that to expand lines and to do um, uh, to do take the, the the fat tail, if you will, and be able to more efficiently just uh, fulfill to customers. But really, we think that the the our um, unique differentiation is in leveraging those 34 stores in some way married in a seamless way to that digital channel that we can build with Spriker. Robert, thank you for your time. Thank you for your answered fantastic story. We should definitely update uh, in half a year or so. Uh, let's see what happens until uh, um, um, then. And uh, I hope our listeners uh, enjoyed uh, um, the question and answers. Thank you. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, Alex.